Amen, amen. It's always encouraging just to hear stories from people within our church and how God has been stirring their hearts and allowing them to worship the Lord. And so we're going to actually hear those videos for the next several weeks because we started a new series last Sunday on worship. And it's our vision for 2024 that we as a church would glorify God. That's a part of our mission statement. We want to bring clarity to that part of our mission statement. And we looked last week at Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is what Meredith read at the very beginning of that testimony. And we're going to kind of pick up from there in that idea that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so both today and the next two weeks, we're going to look at this God who is one. We're going to look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, one God and three persons and worshiping him as the triune God. So we'll be looking at the Father today, and we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 11. So go ahead and grab a Bible, make your way to Luke. I'm sorry, Luke 15 is where we're going to be. Uh, Verse 11 is where we'll start. Luke 15, verse 11. And it'll take us a little while to get to this passage, because I want to set the table uh, a little bit on the Trinity. And so a third to a half of our time today is going to just be looking at what the Bible says as a whole about the Trinity And then specifically, we'll spend the last half of our time looking at the love of the Father, the love of our God. Now, before we dive into talking about the Trinity or even looking at Luke 15, what I want to do is I want us just to pause. I want to pray. God, prepare our hearts and our minds. And uh, a few weeks ago, we got to pray for our team going to North Africa. Uh, They left early this morning. I think we got a picture on the screen. There they are leaving from the airport early this morning. And so we want to be faithful to pray for them this morning as they're flying over there. And then encourage you and invite you to be praying for them this week. That might be one of the ways you worship the Lord, by praying for those that are going to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. So let's open up in prayer, and then we'll dive into our time today. Faithful Father, Lord, we pray that you would increase in your church a desire to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would increase in uh, the heartbeat of the missionaries that we're going to serve alongside with this team you'd stir in their hearts. Let our team be an encouragement to them as they serve you in North Africa week after week and day after day. Father, I pray that you would uh, also just open up doors for them to be able to faithfully proclaim the gospel um, to a people that uh, haven't heard. For maybe those that have heard over there that, Lord, you would be worshiped and glorified through their faithful sharing and that maybe you would just open up those eyes and those ears to, uh, to hear in a unique a new way from our team as they go over there to serve alongside of that church and our missionary. Now, also today, Lord, I ask that you would help our hearts to understand the depth of your love, kind of love that would seek us out and come after us. And Lord, that as we look at this love that has been given to us, I pray that we would be a people that extend that love to others. God, thank you for this love that is allowed us to be adopted into your family. And Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning, but also in the entirety of this year, in the entirety of our life, to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, as we hear and believe your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so the Trinity has been something that's been talked about for hundreds of years, thousands of years. Uh, But we're going to kind of figure it out in three weeks, all right? Like, that's kind of our goal. And no, we're not going to exhaust it by any means, but I hope we have just a little bit better understanding of of why it matters and the value of it and how it helps us to rightly know who our God is and to rightly worship Him. 
So if you open the Bible and you looked page after page after page, you will not find the word Trinity mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Although this whole idea of one God and three persons is found from the very beginning of the pages of Scripture to the very end, it's all throughout. And Deuteronomy calls us to rightly worship this God, to rightly love this God, for He is one. So the whole start of this idea of the Trinity, you go back to Genesis, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures, references that are not going to be on the screen because there's just so many. But I encourage you to get a pen out, piece of paper, maybe your phone, make some notes in there. You can look these passages up later if you kind of want to go deeper. But Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now if you look closely at this, you, you slowly walk through here, you'll see that the Father was there creating. That the Spirit was there hovering over creation. And the Gospel of John in chapter 1 actually tells us that, that Jesus is the Word, the Word that was spoken even there at the beginning. So you see the, the Trinity right there, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all active at the very beginning of creation and time. But this idea is not just in the Old Testament, it's not just the beginning in Genesis, we see it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. As Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he's placed into the water, and we hear a voice from God the Father in heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We see a dove-like thing descending from heaven upon the Son, which is the Spirit. See the Father, you see the Son, you see the Spirit all present there at the baptism of Jesus Christ. It is there throughout all of Scripture, this Trinitarian picture of the God in whom we worship. Now, anytime, anytime anyone has ever tried to explain the Trinity uh, using almost any illustration, it always falls short. Usually, if not always, falls into some kind of heresy, okay? So some of these you may have heard before, and I'll tell you how they miss the mark of who our God is. But some of them, some people will say, well, understand the Trinity like you understand water. Water is, uh, it can be a, a vapor, like a, a, a gas, Right? It can be frozen, be ice, or it can be a liquid. So there's three, but it's all water. Now, the problem with this is, and this is the heresy called modalism, okay? That God takes three different modes at three different times, but he's not all three at the same time. Some people are like, well, the, there's a, you know, the Father, but then the Father came down as the Son, and then later he came down as the Spirit, but there's you know, just three modes in which God takes. That's a heresy. That's not true. That's not who God is. There is one God in three persons. Other people will try to explain it and say, well, God's like the Son. The Son is a star that's out there, and the star gives light, but also gives heat. It's the heresy of Arianism. That the Son and the Spirit, uh, and the Spirit are, are products of the Father. They're not co-equals with Him. They're just byproducts. They exist out of Him. He has created them. The Son and the Spirit are not created beings. 
Others will say, well, the Trinity, you can understand it like a, like a three-leaf clover. Well, that heresy is called partialism. That three parts make up God. But the Father isn't fully God, and the Son isn't fully God, and the Spirit isn't fully God. But that these three parts together come together to make a whole God. It's kind of like the, if you grew up in the 90s as a, as a child, like the Power Rangers, right? They come together and make this big superhero, right? And that's just not true. And the Trinity is something that cannot be comprehended by human reason. It can only be understood through faith and best explains with, explained with the word of the Athanasian Creed, which we read last week and we read again this week, and we're going to read it again the following week, and then we'll put it all together because it's a really long creed. It's a really long statement, but I think it's written so well, so well in helping us understand who the God is that we worship. So we'd really encourage you, if you haven't heard it in the last two weeks, to be here early next week because we read a portion of that and we as a church proclaim together this we believe. I'm just going to be honest and real. Sometimes we, last week we read it and we're like trying to process that as we try to understand the Trinity. And Brandon ends and he's like, church, let's say it together. This we believe. And we're like, this we believe? I think, I think so. I don't know. We hope that you over the next several weeks process some of those truths from the Athanasian Creed that you would understand the Trinity in a deeper, richer way so that you rightly worship the Lord. All right. Now, I say all of that stuff. I talk about those passages in the Bible, and some of you are here thinking, so what? Why does that matter? What does this matter to me? What does it have to do with me? It has a lot to do with you. It has a lot to do with me. You see, understanding God will help us understand who we are. You see, there's a, a lot of confusion around identity in our culture and in our world today. There's a lot of us that are struggling to figure out who we are that are maybe um, students, or there's some of us that are having midlife crisis trying to figure out who we are. And the thing that, that breaks my heart is as we go through like this gender confusion, as we go through identity confusion, we're missing out on understanding who we are because we are created in the image of God. Now let that settle in a little bit. God tells us that he made man and woman in his image, and then we try to divorce our life from God and then try to figure out who we are. You can't do it. We can't do it. It just breeds confusion. If we want to truly know who we are, we first have to know and understand who he is. For we are created in his image. So if you want to figure out who you are, then figure out who he is. And some of you are thinking, well, Ryan, I, I already know who I am. Like, I am set. I don't have uh, any gender confusion or identity problems like the, the, the kind of culture has. I don't have any of those. So how does the Trinity matter to me? Well, understanding the Trinity will help you understand your prayer life. The Bible tells us that we pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. The Son, through his death on the cross, tore the veil that was separating us from the Holy of Holies. And as that veil was torn, now we can approach the throne of grace confidently in our prayers because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit helps us to pray the right things. 
when we're confused on what to pray or how to pray, the Bible tells us that the Spirit guides our prayer life. So the Father is faithful to answer our prayers for His glory and our good. But we have to understand these truths. It also matters in our understanding of our salvation as well as our sanctification. See, we are reconciled to the Father by the atonement of the Son, and now the Spirit of God dwells in the believer. All of this matters. The Spirit is cultivating us and crafting us and sanctifying us and making us look more like Christ, the one who has redeemed us. So often we think that redemption and salvation started with Jesus, and it didn't. It started with the love of the Father, the love of the Father, which is why we're starting here today. Love the Lord our God, and we're looking at the love of the Father. So for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at the love of the Father. Now, we could have chosen many different attributes of the Father. I know that. But I'm specifically going to talk about the love of the Father because it's foundational for us understanding the other attributes of God. It's because of his love that we can rightly understand who he is and what he has done for us. And the Bible, page after page after page, is going to highlight the love of the Father. Sadly, too often we think, well, the Father's this grumpy guy with a long white beard that sits up in heaven and zaps people, and Jesus is like the loving version of God. No, the Father is love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 1, see the kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of the Father is seen throughout all the pages of Scripture. And one of the clearest manifestations of that is that he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins that we could be forgiven. Now, I know for some of us here, the minute I start to talk about God as Father, this messes you up because we have a lot of messed up fathers in this world. The statistics of fatherlessness right now are just not good in our nation. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, there are 19.7 million children living without a father right now in America. That's sad. Stats are showing that when you grow up without a father, you're four times more likely to live at risk of poverty. Daughters are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They're more likely to have behavioral problems and suffer abuse and neglect in their life. The babies of these children are twice as likely to die of infant mortality Children without dads are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're two times more likely to drop out of high school. 
And it's fascinating because in 1960, only about 6% of families lived without a father in their home. But by the early 2000s, that number had grown up to 24%. There's a major issue in our world. And so what do we, what do, we do with that? Do we look at this term that we find in the, the Scripture to, to describe God as Father, and do we say, well, the fathers in our world are just kind of messed up, and so let's just call him Mother. No, that's not what we do. You see, God as Father is not a reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of it. Even the best fathers in this world, Jesus in one of his stories, one of his illustrations says, you, being fathers who are evil, know how to get good gifts. How much more is your heavenly father? So Jesus looks at this crowd of people, listen to his teaching. He's like, hey, you guys are evil fathers, right? Yes, compared to the heavenly father. We're not a reflection of him. He is the perfection of what it is meant to be a father. And so I don't know if you had a great dad or a dad that you have uh, harsh feelings to, but don't try to make heavenly father look like your earthly father. Realize that God is the perfect the perfection of Father. And this is the God in whom we worship and praise. Now, with that kind of thought in mind, this loving Father and who He is, the first person of the Trinity, we come to Luke chapter 15. And the reason why we're going to Luke 15 is because what Jesus is going to do is He's going to teach a parable right here. And this parable is going to highlight the love of the Father. The compassion of the Father. Jesus is working diligently to, to war against some of the false views of what God as Father looks like. So let's pick up in Luke 15, verse 11. And we'll actually read through the end of the chapter. So it's a good portion. Hold on. Focus in. Don't lose it. You want to hear what God's Word has to say to us today. And he said, that's Jesus' teaching. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that was coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he longed to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I'll rise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so, so treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and it is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. 
As he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. Never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not his brother, this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's the word of the Lord. And this passage has such a deep, rich view of the love of the Father. Well, that we would just kind of lean in for, for a bit of time this morning and listen to the love of God. And I know that this is a simple truth. I know that the, the love of God is all throughout Scripture, and we're not going to exhaust the love of God in one message this morning, but, but will we just lean into this simple truth one more time and allow it to refresh our hearts and our souls? Would it allow us to, to, to stoke the, the embers that are within our hearts to praise and worship Him for His great love for us? There's kind of three elements of the Father's love that are found in this passage. First, the love of the Father shows compassion to us. The love of the Father shows compassion to us. What do you think that God feels about you? We find out in this parable. We find out that our, our Father has a deep heart of love for us. In this parable that Jesus is teaching, you see that the Father does five things in verse 20. He does five things. First, he, he sees. He saw the Son. He sees the Son at a distance, which means he had to be watching for him. He's longing for his Son to, to come back at some point. And it's been a period of time. So much so he's had time to, the Son has had time to spend all of this money and waste it all in prodigal living. It's enough time to where he has gone and found a job and there's enough time for a famine to come into a land. So we're talking about months, probably years worth of time. And yet the father, in the, the compassion of his heart, is still looking for the son. Some of you think that you have wandered too far away, that God has forgotten you. Jesus tells us in this parable that the father sees us. He sees us. You may feel alone, but God sees you. You may feel that you have, you have messed up and you've gone too far. You're too bad, and yet God sees you. And when he sees you, he has compassion on you. That's the next thing we see in verse 20. He felt compassion. The father doesn't look at his son and all of his bad decisions, and he looks at him with disgust because of the stench of his mistakes. No, he's moved with compassion, and he wants to, to cleanse his son. He wants to cleanse us from our sins. 
It's because of the compassion of God that he would be so faithful to send his son to do such. The third thing out of the five things you find in verse 20 about the father is that he ran. In the first century, men did not do this. (laughs) At least no important person. Like if you were an important, well-known man, like people came to you. People addressed you. You didn't like get up and run after somebody else. That was a humiliating thing. And yet, the compassion of the Father stirred in his heart to humble himself to run after the one who was far. The one who was lost and now is found. It's fascinating. He ran after the one who had wronged him. And when he ran and found him, he embraced him. This is what the the love of the Father has for us. This is what God thinks about you. He wants to embrace you. You see, the the love of the Father caused him to run and caused him to embrace. He wasn't sitting on the front porch angry at the sun, tapping his toe like, come on, I'm going to wait for you to get here. Whatever your excuse is, it better be a good one. It better be a good one for doing the things that you did. It's not, what you, it's not what you find. You find compassion. Compassion that loves and, and embraces it. Even before the son has given the speech of apology. And you see that? The father sees him at a distance, runs after him, hugs him, and then the son goes into a speech of, I've sinned against heaven above and I've sinned against you. The father's already there loving and clinging to the son in embracement. And it even tells us in verse 20, the kind of fifth thing that you see the father does is he kisses him. Now, if you, you just think about the setting of that for a little bit, he kisses him? I mean, picture this son. He's been working out in the fields with pigs. He's got pig slop all over him, right? He's been in a famine, and have you seen pictures of anybody that's going through a famine? Like, they don't look the prettiest, they don't look the nicest. And the father doesn't say, well, you stand at a distance, give me your good reasons for why I should take you back in, go clean yourself up, and then we'll talk. No. You see this love and compassion raised to him in the midst of his slop, in the midst of his mess, and he's hugging him, and he's embracing him, and he is kissing him. You see, the, the love of God is not earned by our repentance. Our repentance is caused by the love of God. God loves us so much that he refuses to leave us in our slop and in our sin. No, he embraces us and loves us and cares for us. His love completely overwhelms the ugliness of our sin and of our shame. Now, some of us have heard this truth about the Father. Some of us have read passages like this one. And yet, if we're real, there's something within us that still tends to view God as like unbending, unflexible, and perpetually disappointed at you. That is the reality that Jesus is going to war against as he teaches this parable. 
He wants us to see that there's a deep love that the Father has for us. It's one that we can bring our sin and our shame and find forgiveness as we confess our sins before Him. Heaven isn't filled with this great frown looking down on us. No, that's not the correct view. And if there's something within your soul that's continually screaming condemnation in your mind, then you have a false view of God. It's a corroded view of who our Father is. No. Jesus was sent by the Father not to condemn us, but that we might be saved. That we might be saved through him. And now because we are saved by grace through faith and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, now we know without a shadow of a doubt that nothing can separate us from the love of God. This love, even though we sin and we mess up, still races to meet us, still runs to welcome us, still has compassion on us. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39 is clear of this. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Because we loved him so well? No, because he loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to understand this deep, rich love that God has for us. Do you believe that? I mentioned it last week. There's, there's one thing to hear the truth, and we do want to worship God in 2024 by hearing the truth. The other thing is we have to believe that truth. Do you believe the truth of how God feels about you from the words of his son? Do you believe that? If you believe this truth, it will change you. This truth, this reality, if we cling to it, we believe it, we know it, it changes us. Patrick Carnes, which is one of the leading voices today on addiction, he said from a secular perspective that all the research that he's done, the reason why people get hooked on sex in a broken way or addicted to substances the reason why people would destroy themselves with these different addictions, he says, the root of it all is they feel unlovable or unloved. I didn't expect that. I didn't think that would be the reason why we as a, as a people, we as humanity are addicted to so many things. But, it, but he's saying in all the research, all the study, all the things he's done, the reason why we give ourselves to worship all these things and to get, to, get addicted to all these things is because we feel unlovable or unloved. And God is speaking so loudly through his, love, his word, you are loved. Don't try to find love and pleasure in all these other places. Come to me. The deception that leads us into a million addictions is that we are not loved. Man, how deep the Father's love for us. Will we cherish that truth? His love is deeper than we ever thought or we ever imagined it would be. It knows every single one of our faults and failures and still extends compassion to us. Oh, would we just trust and receive it? We just rest in the love of the Father. 
love of the Father there is compassionate, but secondarily, it's restorative. The love of the Father restores us. You see in verse 22, as he welcomes the the prodigal son back, he he sees him and he says, let's go, let's put on the the best robe on him, verse 22 tells us. The best robe. Do you know who had the best robe? The Father. Do you know what the Father is saying as he looks at the Son and he says, go get the robe? Go get my robe. Go get my robe and I want you to put it on the Son. The Son who's covered in filth from pig slop. Hold on, hold on. It's going to mess up your robe. And he's like, no, 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 no. Go get the robe and put it on him. I want people to see my robe on him and not all of his mess and mistakes. This is a picture of imputed righteousness to us. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he doesn't just forgive us of our sins. It's the first half, but the second half, his perfect life is credited to us. It's been imputed to us, not imparted. Imparted has an idea that you've earned it. No, this is grace given. We are holy and we are blameless because of what he has given to us. He restores us. He restores us. The Father also gives a a ring to the Son. And the reason why this matters so much is because it's saying this guy still has the family name. He has sinned, and yes, he's been forgiven, but he bears my name. That's the whole thing with the, the ring. The person would see the ring on their hand and know, oh, that's the symbol, that's the image of that man, of that father. And he puts it on the son. And then he, to highlight that even more, he, 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 he puts shoes on his feet. And this is a symbol of adoption. Those that would kind of be everyday laborers in the field, they didn't have shoes. It were those that were a part of the family. Those that were sons and daughters. Those are the ones that had shoes on their feet. And so this son comes back in all of his shame and guilt, and he's like, I just want to be one of those people again. I just want to kind of serve in the field and kind of earn my way back up into right standing with the father. And the father's like, no, 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 no. You're not going to add and work your way back up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put the robe on you. I'm going to put the ring on your finger. I'm going to put shoes on your feet. You're still a part of the family. He welcomes us back and restores him. Now, here's the thing that's, that's interesting. For most people that would hear the story at that time, and maybe for some of us today, when they listen to this story, and they get to this part where the father is doing all of these things, some people are sitting there thinking, I knew it. Jesus has no idea about the Old Testament. Like, there's got to be a cost. There's got to be a cost to this. God is a just God, and he is a just God. And you're just saying he's going to welcome people back in, and he's just going to restore them in the midst of their sin? Like, nope, Jesus, you've got it all wrong. There's got to be a cost. Now, there is a cost. The one who is sharing this parable, this story, knows the cost. Jesus knows that He left his throne in heaven, took off his robe, and came to earth. He knew that he was going to lose all of his clothing so that we could be clothed as he went to the cross, and they stripped him naked and beat him. He knew that there would be a great cost for this love to be seen and this love to be shared. No, Jesus knew the cost. He knew the justice of God. He knew the sin of this man, and he's like, nope, I have made 
away. The Father restores us through the Son. Jesus was stripped. He was beaten. They cast lots for his robe. And the only way that you and I get a robe and a ring and shoes is because they were taken from him. Oh, that we would look at the cross and praise the love of the Father. It did cost something. It cost Jesus everything. This is the love of the Father seen in us. This is the beauty of the gospel. The last thing about the love of the Father that we find here is that his love is a love that invites. It's a love that invites. In this story, in verse 28, you see that the Father comes out to the the other son. He comes out to the other son who has heard that the, the, the prodigal son has gone away and has come back and the father has welcomed him back in. And the son is mad and he's upset about this. And he's like, nope, this your son, not my brother. This your son has, has wasted all this money. And I'm not going in to celebrate. And I don't know about you. I know I'm a dad of, of fairly young kids. But if one of my sons refuses to come in and to celebrate for, for whatever reason, a birthday party or at Christmas time, like, I'm going to go out and be like, no, you're going to get in here and change your attitude right now. And that's not what you find in this father. <laughs> he goes out to him, and he's like, wait a second. Would you please come in? That word entreat in verse 28 is to, to, to beg and to plead that he would come in and celebrate. The father doesn't even send a another worker to go out and tell the son to come in. The father goes out and says, please, please would you come in and celebrate with us? The the love of the father extends an invitation for all of us to come. And the son doesn't want to come in because he's just as lost as the, the younger son the younger son's lost in his badness, and the older son's lost in his goodness. He's out there saying, God, look at all the things I've done for you, Father, and you didn't give me all of these things. His view is, if I'm good enough, then God will have to do everything that I want him to do. If I'm good enough, then I'll have nothing but prosperity in my life. And when we see the goodness and the grace of God come to the worst of sinners, he's like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. You can't bless him more than me. I've earned this. I've earned this. And that's not the gospel. So the father pleads and he begs, would you please come in? For the younger brother was was dead and is now alive. He was lost and he is found. Now, This is where the story ends. This is where the parable ends. There's no resolution. We don't know if if that son ever did come in. We don't know whether the son received the invitation from the father and and clinged to his love or not. We, We don't know that. And I believe that's intentional. I believe Jesus ends this parable just like that because What he's saying is, this is also an invitation for you. The love of the Father is on full display. He has invited you to come. Will you come? 
Will you receive the invitation of the Father? And may he proclaim over you and celebrate with you that you were once dead and are now alive. You were once lost and now you are found. Oh, would you come? Would you come to the love of the Father? Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for your great love towards us. A love that welcomes and restores and invites us. And Lord, I pray, whether there's somebody watching online or in this room that has heard about the love of the Father but never experienced the love of the Father, that has heard about the love of the Father and yet has not taken advantage of the, the invitation that the Father has extended through the Son, would they make that decision right now? We don't know what this Son and this story did, but Lord, you're calling us today to respond. And so, Lord, help us to receive that love now. And as we receive that love, God, would you help us to extend that love this week to others so that others would know of the great love for God. Lord, help us to to have open doors to to share the love of the Father with, with some that believe that God hates them, some that believe that God would never receive them back. God, would you use us as your hands and feet this week? We've been loved by you. Help us to extend that love to others. To the worship of your name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand now and let's sing to our Father who loves us.